the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. This is the Group 5 Deep Dive. I'm joined as always by the Action Network's Mike Ionello. I am Mike Calabrese. And a reminder to our audience to follow us over on the Action app, BBOCG5 Deep Dive. If you get about halfway through that search query, it's going to pop up with our picks. It's time to flip the script a little bit, get some positive mojo going. Let's do that. Let's hop into our G5 Heroes of the Week. Devontez Walker, wide receiver, Kent State. I was in Knoxville for Tennessee, Florida, still able to stream the game on the Tennessee River and seeing him take one to the house against the Georgia defense, catching 44 points. This cover was never in doubt. I really appreciate what he's been able to do and Cephas on the perimeter. I couldn't be more excited about a G5 offense getting out of their non-conference slate and getting into the meat of their conference schedule. Because honestly, between him, Colin Schley, Marquez Cooper, this offense, I think, is really going to pop. I'm going to get into it in a little bit, but I'm excited about the Golden Flashes. Now their pockets are flush. They played Washington. They played Oklahoma. They played Georgia. They got paid. They survived it. They went one and three. They actually looked pretty good offensively. Colin Schley now six nationally in QBR. So my G5 hero goes to Walker, dynamic playmaker for the Golden Flashes. Who is your G5 hero from week four? Yeah, first of all, I want to just jump on with you as – I am an absolute wounded deer. My confidence is shattered. I'm not joking. I had the worst sat worst day gambling I've ever had in my entire life on Saturday. Just I mean, I did TCU best bet, pretty much the only bet I won across the board. I got absolutely shellacked. So I am still limping here. I'm bleeding out. Uh I had a bad week. But you want to know who did not have a bad week? Chase Cunningham, Middle Tennessee's quarterback. Obviously, the 45-31 win at Miami. But I just want to draw a little bit more attention to Cunningham specifically. He had 16 completions for 408 yards. That is almost impossible to do. Three touchdowns. He also rushed for a touchdown. He averaged 16.3 yards per attempt, 25 yards per completion. It's the highest yards per completion in the FBS in over in at least 22 years. He had a 71-yard touchdown pass, 69-yard touchdown pass, 98-yard touchdown pass, an 89-yard pass that got tackled on like the five-yard line. When he completed the ball, it went for, you know, 50 yards. It was ridiculous to watch them pick up big play after big play against this Miami team. I also want to give Chase Cunningham and Middle Tennessee plenty of love for what might be coming next. But Chase Cunningham, you are my G5 Hero of the Week, balling out against the U. Who is not back? I feel like there needs to be like a G5 30 for 30, how Middle Tennessee upset Miami. Talk about a game that did not get enough national exposure. 
one of the most shocking upsets of the year, really the last couple of years, to be honest with you, because how they looked in the opener against James Madison to flip it around and then to lay it on the Canes, like just out of nowhere. So I agree. Huge kudos to the Blue Raiders. Hopefully that uh, pretends to a, a solid back half of their season and they can get up to bowl eligibility. The hyperbole is done. Now we can finally play the game. So let's go ahead with your best bet to kick off week five. Sorry, Middle Tennessee. UTSA minus four. Best bet of the week. I still don't think Middle Tennessee is good. I think, you know, yeah, they looked great against Miami, who also didn't look good against, you know, Southern Miss and looked bad against Texas A&M. And like I said, it was big play after big play after big play, which is great, but that's not like sustainable. We talked about Middle Tennessee coming in as a really bad team, and I don't necessarily think they're any less bad. This is also just a bad spot. Is look at the history of what we've seen this year. Old Dominion upsets Virginia Tech, immediately loses to ECU. App State beat Texas A&M, should have lost to Troy the following week. Marshall beats Notre Dame, loses to Bowling Green. Georgia Southern beats Nebraska, loses to UAB. Middle, you mentioned it. Middle Tennessee got pumped by James Madison, who apparently is a lot better than we all thought. But they were outgained 548 to 119. And that was their first FCS game. They beat Colorado State, which is, I mean, they are laughably bad. They beat FCS Tennessee State. So, and then, yeah, they got the big win over Miami. They lived by explosiveness against Miami. They ranked just 105th in the country in success rate on offense. UTSA's defense is 15th in the country in success rate. They're 35th at defending passing explosiveness. They, Rashad Wisdom is not going to give up those big plays that Miami did. And then Middle Tennessee just can't run the ball at all. And UTSA is top 25 at defending the run anyway. So it's going to be all on Cunningham to do it again. And again, it's not, I mean, he only had 16 completions. It's not like he was just chucking it over the place, shredding them. And he's going to have to outplay Frank Harris, who's been awesome. Harris is averaging 327 and a half yards per game. Most in the conference, sixth in the country. He has 10 touchdowns, just two picks. Uh, do you know who leads Conference USA in receiving by any chance? Uh, is it Sakari Franklin? No. He's actually third. First is Decorian Clark, who's averaging 104 yards per game. Second is Joshua Cephas, who's averaging 103 yards per game. And third is Zakari Franklin, who's averaging 98 yards per game. They have the top three receivers in the entire conference right now. I don't know about you, and correct me if you feel differently. I still think UTSA is the best team in this conference. We thought that coming in. I still think that from what I've seen. And I don't think Middle Tennessee is that good. And on top of it, this is just such a big letdown spot after that huge win against Miami. Meet Meep. We're going back to Old Faithful. We, we wrote them all last year. We're going back to the Roadrunners. Meet Meep minus four is my best bet. Emotional letdown that's, spot. That's also Friday night, so it's also a short turnaround after the emotional letdown spot. Thank you. I, I I was hoping you'd hit on that. You know, they're still probably getting patted on the back all the way through warmups of that game. I agree. A perfect time to reunite with one of our favorites here on the podcast, UTSA. Love it. I'm going to go and fade one of the worst defenses in college football, as I am wont to do. So let's talk about defense. Ohio has given up 38 to FAU, 46 to Penn State, 43 to Iowa State. Which, you know, you can make arguments that those are pretty solid offenses. And, oh, here comes Fordham with 52 points. That's incredible to go up 52 points to Fordham. I understand that this Ohio 
offense really popped off in that game. But Fordham's 114th out of 123 teams at the FCS level in total defense. Of course, they scored 59 points. And I don't want to bury the kid because he's got a sweet nickname. Curtis Rourke has kind of lived up to expectations, at least Stucky's expectations. He was the only one banging the drum during the summer preview series, saying that Ohio could be feisty this year. He's got a great nickname, the Maple Missile. That's essentially all Ohio has in this game. It's Rourke trying to outscore a Kent State offense that comes in, I think, ready to pounce because Ohio is 92nd against the run, dead last in the FBS against the pass, 376.3 yards per game allowed. I think Colin Schley is going to have his breakout game. I think he could end up being the MAC Offensive Player of the Year, and this offense is ready to go. The fact that they cut their teeth against Georgia and looks really good, moved the football in Athens, not Ohio Athens, University of Georgia Athens. I think they're perfectly primed to go ahead and cover this number. It opened at seven. I loved it at seven. It's bubbled all the way up to 11. I think it's kind of at the threshold where I'm feeling a little bit nervous. I certainly wouldn't play it up to 14, but we'll go ahead and play it between those two key numbers of 10 and and 13 and a half. Going to go with the golden flashes here. And one final point on, on Kent's. They were one of the worst defenses in the entire country last year. Certainly for a team that was a bowl squad, they were absolutely the worst. And they've gone from really bad against the run to in the 90s against the run. And I think because of that, the the baby steps that they've taken, I think they're going to be able to pair that with an offense that is just as electric for Sean Lewis. I think they get it done here. What's your thought on this Mac opener between the Golden Flashes and the Bobcats? Yeah, I love that pick. And if you also like this pick and like Kent State, you know, I don't love shouting out other podcasts on our podcast, but he's a friend of the show. So after you listen to all the, the Action Network podcasts, Bud Elliott, friend of the show, he's been on our show before. He had the Kent State coaching staff on the Cover 3 podcast. I believe it was yesterday. He had Sean Lewis. He had the offensive coordinator, Andrew Soder, and he had defensive coordinator, Jeremiah Johnson on for a quick little injury with them. And I listened this morning and it was awesome. And it really got me behind the Kent State. He asked them about that schedule that they play and what their thoughts on it, which obviously we thought they should fist fight their administration. They love it. They said they love it. Uh, Sean Lewis said, it's like when you're a kid, you, you use a batting donut to take all your reps. And then as soon as you take the donut off, you're just smoking the ball. And he said that he loved the fact that they weren't, they ran their offense against the better competition. And he thinks it's going to really prepare them for the Mac play. He talked about how much, how impressed he was about their how their offensive line held up against these monster power five defensive fronts. So if they didn't feel like they got pushed around by Oklahoma and Georgia, how do you think, do you think they're going to be pushed around by Ohio? So I love the way how confident they are after what they saw from their guys. And I'm all in. I agree with you. I love that pick. That's the kind of synergy momentum we're trying to build as we move into the G5 high five for week number five. The G5 high five. Should we high five? High five. I'm going to get it started here, and I'm going to harken back to a game that really ticked us off last year, and it was Memphis traveling to Temple as an 11-point favorite. They lost outright in that game, which was insanity. This is a revenge spot for them. They're at 19.5-point favorite, and here's the thing. I love teams that in the non-conference generate that fool's gold because when you look at Temple on TeamRankings.com, on the Action Network, we have all the color coding for success rate, all these things. Top 10 against the pass for the Owls. 18th in sack rate. Third nationally and third down defense. The last three weeks, they've let up 14, 16, and a shutout. But then you dig into it. They played Lafayette. Dead last in the FCS in total offense. Rutgers, 97th in the FBS in total offense. And then UMass last week, 128th. 
I would expect any defense worth its salt to put up some really good numbers. Now, here comes Memphis. Tigers have combined for 125 points in the last three weeks. They got a three-headed monster in their backfield, Thomas, Ducker, and Aza Martin, the former Auburn transfer. And Seth Hannigan's back up to his old tricks from last year, really taking a step forward, eight-to-one touchdown-interception ratio. We discussed it at length during the AAC preview. How would they replace Calvin Austin III? They've done a piecemeal, Rogers, Lewis, Ivory, all 12-plus catches throughout the season. And kind of a breakout star and kind of uh, a position that doesn't get utilized all that much in college football today at tight end. Caden, Priestcorn, four touchdowns already this season. I think they're going to score a lot of points in this game. And when you turn around and you look at the Temple offense, they're piloted by a freshman, EJ Warner. He takes over 11 for 22 with two picks against UMass, a 29 QBR. That is rough. And, and of course, Temple can't run the ball, 2.8 yards per carry. So I think there's a very small chance that this is even a game at halftime. The fact that it's 19 and a half, Memphis is not going to overlook them given what happened last year. I think Memphis is going to be able to run the ball at will. And I don't know. I, I think Temple, as fortunate as they, as they have been with their scheduling, I think this is a game that they plummet back to earth. The last time you're going to get a good number fading the Owls. Where are you on Memphis? I know that it's a little bit tricky to, to handicap them because they're not as dynamic without Austin the third. Their running game has been good, but not great. Do you think this is the time to hop in on the Tigers? I feel like they're one of those annoying teams that plays down to bad competition, but Temple stinks. They look better with with uh, Kurt Warner's kid in there. I mean, Dwan Mathis was really bad, but they're still bad. All right, what are we adding on for your first G5 High Five edition? I'm going to another Friday game. I'm going to two teams we're both high on, two teams we both have win total bets on, one of which I'm a lot more confident in than the other one after four games. I'm taking Tulane plus two and a half at Houston. I'd love to get that three, but I would take it at two and a half. I love Houston, but they're making me nervous. They've been playing with fire. They have not looked good in a single game this year. They went to three OTs against UTSA. They were outgained 441 to 344. They went to two OTs against Texas Tech, were outgained 468 to 353. They got crushed by Kansas, who should be ranked, by the way. And they beat Rice by seven after returning a fumble for a touchdown late in the fourth. Rice isn't any good. They have a lot over 330 passing yards in three of their four games. The only they didn't was, was Kansas, who just ran it down their throat. Tulane is 11th in the country in pass play rate. They're second in the country at passing explosiveness. Michael Pratt has seven touchdowns, has five different players averaging at least 25 yards per game. They're ninth in the country in rushing success. They're using uh, J Spears and Michael Pratt's legs terrifically. Um, Tulane's offense, they're first in the country in explosiveness. They're 12th in success rate. And this Houston defense is just 94th in the country and success rate. And they just lost their best player. Edge rusher Derek Parrish is out for the season. He's their best player. You know, Sack Ave, they already lost. Well, they lose two, two of them to the NFL draft last year. Parrish was their big returning guy. Now he's out for the year. This entire Houston team is Clayton Toon and Tank Dell, who are both awesome, but they cannot run the ball at all. Tulane is 21st in the country at success rate against the pass. And going back to my, you know, fate of middle Tennessee property, Tulane upset Kansas state. Then they dropped the dud to Southern Miss. You know, they outgained Southern Miss 450 to 250. But I mean, missed... there, there's two two blocks. They got a block punt and a block field goal and another missed field, missed field goal. goal. They could easily be four now. And, I they, agree with you there. and they threw a late pick six in the second half. 
I like them to bounce back here. I think they win this game. This is almost going to be my underdog, but we have not won a single underdog. So instead, I'm making it the high five. I like Tulane. I think they win this game. I both win total over, so I'm happy either way. But Houston is making me very nervous, where I love what I've seen from this Tulane team. Oh, absolutely. Send this one. Tulane's winning this game. I've seen this movie before with Dana Holgerson. They're 2-2 two and two on the season. They had all these New Year's Six aspirations, maybe being a top-10 team if everything broke correctly. Now, emotionally, he mentioned in the post-game press conference a few key things. One, they have seven starters that are either out or dinged up headed into this game. They're, I mean, I know they're one of the best G5 teams, but nobody has the kind of depth to be able to weather those kind of issues. And then he gets into the Holgerson thing where like he's like, I can't do anymore. These guys are undisciplined. What am I supposed to do about it? Stop making mistakes. They're 128th in penalties per game. You're the head coach, my man. And we saw this in his first year where half of his guys redshirted and went to the portal and it, the whole season kind of fell apart emotionally. He's just not the locker room rally kind of guy. So when you pair that up against you know a Tulane team, you hit all the big points here. Jim Sabota's offense is absolutely cooking. I love what they've been able to do for Michael Pratt. They're unlocking all of his potential. And defensively, I mentioned him after the Kansas State upset win. Chris Hampton, their defensive coordinator, took a unit that was 120th against the pass. And now they're top 10 in a few key metrics. Now, I understand that they played a lot of run-heavy teams, and Adrian Martinez isn't going to be able to put it through the air. I got that. But to go from 120th to like ninth or 8th in some of these metrics is a huge turnaround. Everything is positive for the green wave. I love this play. So I'm actually going to hit him on the money line. Here we go for my next edition here. This game has now been moved from Saturday to Sunday. It's a one o'clock kickoff on Sunday at the bounce house. And the key here is the winds. So the projections as of right now are that the wind's going to be between 10 and 12 miles an hour. As long as it's under that key threshold of 15 miles per hour, I think SMU is going to be able to move the ball through the air and really, when you look at the two teams, it's a pace, breakneck pace on both sides, head-to-head. SMU, 84.7 plays per game. The Gus Bus rolling, 81 plays per game, 12th nationally. And I mentioned Malzahn. He finally has this running game cooking 298 yards against Georgia Tech, 321 the week before against FAU. And this SMU run defense stinks out loud. 211 yards per game allowed, 118th. I just see this as SMU trailing and SMU needing to throw the ball 50, 60 times against a pretty solid UCF front, but their secondary, you can you can get them through the air. So 64 and a half doesn't really scare me away. I will mention, you know, prayers out to everybody with Hurricane Ian making its way through the Gulf and through Florida. But as long as it there's no lingering factors in terms of winds or any rainstorms, it doesn't look like there will be on Sunday. I think this is a nice play for the over. And I actually think because of the weather implications, we could see this number come down a little bit. So I may wait closer to kick off to go ahead and hop in on this AAC over. These are two teams that we were bullish in different degrees on during the preseason. What are your thoughts now that there's uh, four or five games on tape? Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree with you on wait because I think this number probably keep, keeps dropping as as it continues to rain and the winds and stuff, especially if people see what happened Saturday with with the wind. Um, yeah, I like it. I like I like what both teams do offensively. I do think. You know, Plumley. I would like to see a little bit more from his arm, but he has shown, you know, with his legs, he's super dangerous. Bowser's great back there. And I agree with you about their, they're a lot better up front than I think they're on the back end. At least they have been so far this year. For my next pick, I'm going with Troy, plus five and a half at Western Kentucky. Before I talk about this game, I do want to give a shout out to Western Kentucky. Obviously, we've been bulletin board material for them all year. 
the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. I thought they'd drop off a lot more without Zappy and Kitley, but they just absolutely demolished FIU 73 to nothing. They threw for 470 yards, six touchdowns, rushed for 210, and another three. They outgained them 690 to 124. Just an absolute beatdown. I, I mean, FIU, how they're oh essentially the Texas State God. fighting armadillos. They have guys who should not be on the T too deep anywhere in college football. So kudos to Austin Reed, absolutely lighting them up like a Christmas tree. But FIU is probably the worst team in the country, right? Yes. Oh, for sure. They're worse than probably half the FCS schools. <laughs> that being said, I think Troy's pretty good. They lost to Ole Miss in a pretty respectable performance. I mean, they held Lane Kiffin's offense 28 points. They obviously lost that heartbreaker to App State the following week, but they bounced back with a great win against the Marshall team where they outgained them 421 to 174. They averaged seven and a half yards per play on offense against a Marshall team who we both think is pretty good. Uh, Gunnar Watson definitely needs to cut down on the turnovers, but he's averaging over 300 yards per game. He's averaging 8.7 yards per attempt. He has five receivers that are averaging over 40 yards per game. This offense has really been moving the ball well. Yeah, Western Kentucky's looked awesome, and their numbers are great, but their wins have came, came against FCS Austin P, Hawaii, and Florida International, who they might be the two worst teams in the entire country. I mean, you throw in UMass, and that's probably the three worst teams in the nation. And then their loss came at Indiana, who's probably one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country. So I'm not really you know, their schedule has been so bad. So it's like, yeah, they look good, but how much can you really take from that? And I really, really just like this Troy team. I love their defense. Carlton Marshall missed the last game against App State, but he returned against Marshall and racked up 18 tackles. He led a Troy defense that held Marshall to 78 yards passing and just two yards per carry. They had seven sacks, 12 tackles for loss. And we know Western Kentucky all they're going to do is air it out. But Troy ranks 16th in the country in cover grade. They have a good, good secondary. They have great linebackers. I don't know. I'm just bullish on this Troy team, and I think they're going to keep it close. So I'll take the plus five and a half like with Troy at Western Kentucky. Yeah, I love the game within the game, the Troy defense, with a full collection of playmakers with Marshall as you know the centerpiece there. I agree. I think they're the best unit on the field. So go ahead and take the points there. Um, I'm going to close this out for our G5 high five over 58 Georgia Southern against Coastal. What a nice that. little surprising season for Georgia Southern against all odds. They go ahead and they bring in Kyle Van Treese. He's got three 300 plus passing games already. He's accounted for 10 touchdowns through four games. And Jalen White is giving them really nice balance on the ground, averaging 5.4 yards per carry. I did not think that this offense was going to pop in year one. And clearly it has for Helton. And then you look at this coastal defense. Now, we figured they would struggle. They were placing 10 starters. But despite a schedule of Army, Gardner-Webb, Buffalo, and Georgia State, by no means a murderer's row offensively, they're allowing over 26 points per game. They've had a tough time getting off the field on third downs, 83rd nationally in that, and 76th nationally in red zone defense. They're allowing big plays through the air, 7.9 yards per attempt. And they've given up 16 plays of 20-plus through the air this year, which ranks 103rd. So as I'm going through all of them, a team that was top 50 in the 40s last year, they've made that big step backwards into the 80s, 90s, 100s, and a lot of the key big play metrics. And honestly, on offense, it's business as usual. However, 
we have to check the status of Grayson McCall. He had an ankle injury. There's been some buzz on Twitter that he's fine, but we need this guy obviously to push this number over 58 because he's been just as good as he was last year. 11 touchdowns, one pick, 70% completions, couple of rushing touchdowns in there. And they've done it with some, you know, rotating at the running back position. He doesn't seem to miss a beat. And they're up against a bad Georgia Southern defense that creates zero havoc. You can run on them 5.7 yards per carry allowed. That's 123rd nationally generating zero pressure, 125th in sack rate. So I look at this as an awful Georgia Southern defense, a pretty bad coastal defense and some offenses that have popped off already this year against better competition. As long as McCall is healthy, I'm going to go ahead and lock this in. I play this all the way up to 61 and a half. Do you think there's any way maybe coastal goes into a little bit of a slower tempo, trying to protect their defense that really game flow wise is the only way I see this going under the number. Is that something that should be, you know, well-founded fear wise, or am I just a little gun shy given our record in the last two weeks? Well, yeah, the gun shy is a record. Um, I mean, this is obviously one to monitor wins and stuff like that being in Carolina. That would kind of be my only fear. Jamie Chadwell did say 20 minutes ago that uh, Grayson McCall is going to play. So obviously he's limited in practice, but he's going to play. I agree with you. I, I actually, you know, we should give a little bit of love here because we haven't talked about him at all. I do like this Georgia Southern offense a lot, but they've been able to do so quickly under Clay Helen, you know, totally abandoning the option, going to more of an air raid in, in one year to be able to turn that around. I mean, they're, they're 28th in the country in passing play success rate for a team that basically didn't pass the ball at all last year. They're 18th in rushing explosiveness. So I really like what they're doing over there. Obviously, they got the big upset win against Nebraska. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you because I, I like what I've seen from this Georgia Southern offense and assuming McCall's good to go, which Shadwell just said he is. If we don't have wins, I like it. Just watch the wins, obviously. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? They run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. All right, let's finish out our week five plays with our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. I'm kicking myself because I thought about taking these guys last week, but I'm not going to let the opportunity slip through my fingers twice. Louisiana, Monroe, traveling to Arkansas State. The Warhawks looked great in upset of Louisiana last week, who's really been the absolute alpha dog of the Sun Belt West for years now. They stopped the run. 86 yards allowed. They brought the havoc, seven tackles for loss, and they ran the ball really well. 227 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. Chandler Rogers is a nice dual threat passer. He's also, you know, his tape from dating back to last year, he was great through the air against Liberty and South Alabama in back-to-back upsets. So I think there's a chance that he could pop through the air against an Arkansas State defense that gives up big plays at will to give 29 points in the second half to Old Dominion last week. And Arkansas State cannot run at all. They 2.4 yards per carry last week, 3.6 on the season. I think if there's any vulnerabilities and Monroe proving that they're not so stingy up front, it's not going to be exposed in this game. So the real question is, can the Warhawks pass defense hold up? They're 17th in interception rate, 37th in sack rate, but 75th in total against the pass. So they're making those havoc explosive plays but you can pick them apart and move the football. And that's really what it's going to devolve into. Cause I think Arkansas state will abandon the run pretty early in this game, but at plus two twenty, I'm willing to roll the dice on the Warhawks here. I think they get it done against the red wolves team that, you know, they burned me last week. They, they lost, but they were able to cover that short number. I don't think they're able to do it here in back-to-back weeks as a favorite with a target on their chest. I'll go ULM. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we, you know what I feel about Arkansas state 
Uh, for mine, I'm going back to another well. Matt Mitchell, give me Old Dominion. Give me the drop. Wolf in the shotgun, and he's got him. Asking you shall receive, my friend, from Hayden Wolf. Riding with the Wolf Pack, plus 115 against Liberty. I know I've faded Liberty a couple times now. They're down to their third string quarterback. Charlie Brewer's out. Caden Salter didn't play last week. And Jonathan Bennett, ben, Benter started. He's completing 41% of his passes on 48 attempts, two touchdowns, four interceptions. And that came against Southern Miss and Akron. So he's not good. Even if Salter plays, and Salter, he, he is practicing this week. I just saw he was practicing uh, – yesterday he's completing just 55 percent of his passes four touchdowns three interceptions i've watched him play a couple times he just can't throw the ball well um his he's electric running the ball but he was out with a leg injury so if he's at all not 100 percent, that takes away his biggest asset and sure liberty has great defensive numbers especially against the pass but they played southern miss who was running the wildcat the whole game they played uab who ran it down their throat, but lost four fumbles. And then they played Wake Forest, who threw for 325 yards against them. And they played Akron, who stinks. So I'm not really trusting the Liberty pass defense to be as good as their numbers may indicate, because they really only played one passing team and they shredded them. Um, Ali Jennings is second in the country, 140 yards per game. He is nasty. And Old Dominion hasn't moved the ball all that well consistently, but they pick up big plays really well. And the only team Liberty has faced that can do that is Wake Forest, which is their only loss. Liberty's 123rd in pass play success rate. So there's kind of a matchup of both teams' weaknesses where, you know, Old Dominion can't really move the ball that well, but Liberty also can't stop it. Um, Blake Watson, he kind of surprisingly didn't play last week, and they have struggled to run the ball, but Liberty's 91st in rush play success rate. So it should be a good team to try and get running against, assuming Blake Watson is back. Um, Old Dominion's defense has been just league average, but they're really good at the the whole bend, don't break. They're 22nd at preventing finishing drives. They've really tightened up in the red zone. And they have faced Virginia Tech, ECU, Virginia, and Arkansas State, all of whom's offenses are probably better than Liberty's. You know, Virginia's offense has been bad, but they still have Brennan Armstrong, who's much better than whoever's playing quarterback for Liberty. Old Dominion's 2-0 at home this year. Obviously, I'm going to take the home dog, especially when their mascot is the cutest dog of all time. I mean, home dog of the week. So Hudson is going to be dancing in his Crocs in victory. Wolfpack Unite, home dog of the week. I very much like this play, but it's all predicated on Kaiden Salter's availability. A sea of red.com does a great job uh, updating everything Liberty football, and they have, you know, beat writers who are covering the practices. If he's a go, this play shifts from Old Dominion for me to over because it's sitting at 41, which I think is way too low with a dynamic improvisational player like him. He's basically Malik Willis light. He doesn't quite have as live of an arm, but he was the Sports Illustrated Texas High School quarterback of the year in 2020. This guy's a big time talent, signed with Tennessee, four star kid. He can make a lot of plays. He can also turn the ball over kind of at will. So because of that, you're going to see explosive plays go both ways. I like the over in that case, but I am totally with you. If he's unavailable, this old dominion, it's stealing to get them on plus money in a spot like this because their offense, now that Kunz has added some elements in the seam with their passing game, they're really dynamic. I think they'll be able to move the ball here. So I, I think that's a great play. 
All right, to do a quick update on all of our bets here in week five, we're going to go through the best bets. Mike likes UTSA minus four. I'm on Kent State laying 11 against Ohio. For our G5 high five, we like Tulane plus two and a half, Troy plus five and a half, Memphis laying 19 and a half, the over in the UCF SMU game that's sitting at 64 and a half that total. Make sure to check the weather before kickoff. And finally, over in the Coastal Carolina Georgia Southern game that total is sitting at 58. Once again, Hurricane Ian's impact on that game from a win perspective is something you need to keep an eye on before locking that one in. And then finally, our money lo- money line underdog parlay: Old Dominion plus one fifteen, University of Louisiana Monroe plus two twenty. You put them together, that's a payout of just shy of six to one over at BetMGM. So you're going to want to go ahead and get those plays in. We do think there's a chance that uh, you could see some line movement both in Old Dominion and Monroe before kickoff. Any final thoughts, any potential bonus picks? I know it's something that's become kind of a, a tried and true elements of the last few minutes of our podcast. Yeah, that's, that's an area that jumped out to me uh, too much. Uh, probably in the plain San Jose State like at Wyoming. Uh, I know Colin and Stucky are both on that. I don't love San Jose State, but I hate Wyoming. So minus two and a half laps I looked. I'll probably play that, but that's really the only one that I kind of caught my eye that I, other than the ones I gave out. The only uh, bonus one that I'm interested in, BYU-Utah State on Thursday. Gunnar Romney finally back from a lacerated kidney. He's you know the top wide receiver for Jaron Hall. Hall did great without him. Nine touchdowns, one pick, 71% completions, 21st in QBR, back-to-back 300-yard games. I don't think there's anything wrong with their offense. And Utah State is in free fall right now. It's and like stunning how bad they got so quick. So I actually like over 59 and a half there. I think BYU will score north of 40 on their own. And as long as Utah State doesn't turn the ball over five times, I think they're good for 20 points in a pseudo rivalry game. Depends who you ask in Provo or in Logan. But I'm going to go over 59 and a half there. All right. Before we continue, as a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. The rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee red line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right. right. For Mike Ionello, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Group of Five Deep Dive under the Big Bets on Campus banner brought to you by BetMGM. A reminder that Stucky and Colin will be tuning in to your podcast feed shortly, giving a breakdown of everything across the entire FBS landscape. And of course, our live show on Saturday featuring Colin Stucky, Brett McMurphy, and others. You want to make sure you get in there. A lot of 
potential weather impacts with Hurricane Ian moving through the Gulf. So you want to make sure you listen there. And beyond situational plays, there's also some interesting thoughts that, that Colin can provide in terms of reading the fine print on your sports book, making sure if games are moved, if venues are changed, if kick- kickoff times are changed, if that actually impacts your play, in some cases, voiding bets. So make sure to tune in there. Thanks again for listening, and hopefully we can get back to our winning ways on Saturday.